Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today I'm bringing you Dr. Will O'Connor, who is a previous CMIO, a wealth of knowledge, and has been involved with some interesting things with COVID. I'm excited to have him on the show. Hey, Will, how's it going today? Pretty good. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thanks for joining. So I'll start with my usual question. How did you get into informatics? What was your journey like? Tell us how you started. Yeah, it's a good question. It started really early for me. I think I wanted to be a CMIO before I even knew what it was or the role existed. I always wanted to be a doctor growing up. It was just always my thing and just something that I wanted to do and had some exposure to it and was fascinated by it, but was also interested in computers from a very, very young age. And and even though I'm solidly a Gen Xer, I had a fairly digital childhood. I remember when I was very young building a radio with my father and I wanted my first computer. So I mowed lawns and, and did other work. And I bought one of those old TRS 80s, the old trash 80s, they, they <laughs> called them, and became just obsessed with, with the thing and uh, needed more and more and more. And my school at the time was a, a middle school. They had a couple of Apple IIe's and they would loan them out to some students over the summer. You had to apply for it and we'd get the computer and learn to compute uh, or to program in basic over the summer. And then in high school, there was a college near me, RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, really good engineering school, really good computer school. And they had some summer programs where they grabbed some high school kids and we learned to program in Pascal and, and Fortran. So really early, I had gotten into it. And then my exposure to medicine started early too. So I was working in a hospital by the time I was 16 as an orderly. I was an ER tech when I was 17. And that just sort of meant they had found a kid that was interested in medicine and they taught me to do a few things and let me go. And it was a great experience. And it wasn't until medical school that I started having some more formal experience with healthcare information technology. And I went to NYU and in the private hospital, in the Tisch Hospital, we had that old TDS, that light pen system for ordering. Some of you probably remember. And there was no documentation. You just used a light pen on a screen and you could do ordering. And it was it was really pretty good. It, it saved a lot of time. And when I would go over to Bellevue Hospital for rotations, they didn't have anything over there. It was a public hospital. There was a prison within the hospital. So the experience there was amazing. But I remember the first pager they gave me it was this big blue thing and it had this screen on it where you could only have one number at a time so when they would page me it would beep and you'd have to look down in a panic because if you missed the flash of the four numbers there was no way to to get it back it didn't store it on there so that was my first exposure to healthcare communication and from there, I got really, really interested in how computers could help and how technology could help and how communication could help. So from there, my first experience outside of clinical medicine was really working as a CMIO for a, a large vendor. And it was an amazing business experience. I learned uh, a ton, just an absolute ton. You don't learn a tremendous amount based on what your background is. If you go into medicine, I'd spend all my time 
on, on medicine uh, and what other time I had I spent on computers and learning that and didn't have a lot of business experience. That was a really eye-opening thing for me and I, I learned an incredible amount when I was there, but ultimately my impact was limited. It was a big company and we couldn't do a lot of the things that we as clinicians wanted to do as far as creating things that were usable and that were easy for physicians to use. And uh, when Meaningful Use came about, that really stifled a lot of the innovation that we were working on because all the vendors had to sort of react and build all the things that were required for Meaningful Use. So it be kind of became a, a little bit of a, a rough space to, to work in. And that's really what led me to coming to, to Tiger Connect and being the CMIO there. I remember that old pager that I used to carry at working at Bellevue and realized when I would travel around and, and visit clients and visit customers that communication wise, things hadn't gotten a lot better. And we're still using pagers and fax machines and, and things like that. So that's really what got me interested in communication and uh, working with Tiger Connect where I am today. So that old blue pager, the security on that thing has to be awesome because if you dropped it and left it somewhere, no one can see the all the pages that are in there. I think it's a phenomenal device. Um, <laughs> not so much. I'm teasing. No, um, exactly. It was, it, it was so nerve-wracking to use the thing because if you were in the middle of doing something else, you had about five seconds until the beeping stopped when you knew it was going to flash in order to record the number. It was, it was very nerve-wracking. I'm sure. You're right about healthcare not progressing very far in the digital age here. And when I walk into an office and I hear the tones of the fax machine going, that it's like you don't hear that in a modern bank. You only hear that in healthcare. It's just really strange that we still fax all kinds of stuff. And fax is HIPAA secure. So in some ways, it's preferred. Um, our surgeons need to be able to communicate pre-op orders to the hospital. They fax them. That's how it's done these days. I just, it's a little backwards. To With all we've spent on technology and all the time and all the money, it does seem a little ridiculous sometimes that we still use some of those archaic technologies. And you're right, we're just about the only industry that's still doing things like that with faxes and pagers. So, what are you doing now? What does a day look like? Or uh, just so others know what a CMIO that's now on a vendor side, what do they do for a living? So we get to do a lot. It's a fantastic job. It's, it's really the best job I've ever had. And it's the most fun I've ever had working for a company. And one of the reasons I like where I am now at TechConnect is we're very small. So we're less than 150 people, but we're very large as well. We have over 6,000 customers. So that mix of being able to work with colleagues really all over the world, mostly in the United States, but we have colleagues and customers all over the world now, being able to work with them in all those different environments and exposing me to different ways to deliver healthcare is an amazing experience. And then working internally, as I said, we're small. So most of the parts of the company I get to work in as far as deployment of our software out to our customers, uh, a little bit on marketing, I work with the product team a lot so it can have influence and, and help with the product and what things we should build next and what we should deploy. So it's a very dynamic role and really lots of fun and also very high energy. As I said before, I consider myself a little bit of, I guess I'm sort of an ex-lennial, right? I'm Gen X, but I think and behave and sort of 
match up with the millennials sometimes. And, uh, you know, they're becoming a larger and larger portion of our workforce. And at, at my company where I am now, I would say the majority of the, uh, the employees are, are millennials. So I, I fit in very well. And so being part of a company that, I guess, has 6,000 clients, I'm picturing you on the floor of Hims, and that's probably a 10-hour day plus a couple more hours at night then going to the events, and you may be thankful, actually, that they closed that down. That's got to be brutal. I'm always exhausted by the end of that week, but it's a good exhausted because you it feels like you end up doing three or four months of meetings in just a few days. And as you said, meetings during the day, dinners and other meetings at, at night, it, it becomes a very exhausting week. But I, you know, I missed seeing everyone. Obviously, our customers and clients, it's great to catch up with them. But then friends in the industry, I've been in the industry for a long time now. And you always see people there every year. And it's the only time all year you get to see them. And I miss that a bit. But we did our hymns virtually. And I think we we got maybe 70 to 80% of the, the benefit out of it. We had a lot of meetings and it was still end up being a pretty tiring week. I have a lot easier time keeping my energy up in person than I do over my 11th Zoom of the day. So right. uh, in that respect, right. I missed it. I, I highlight that. I want to other CMIOs to understand the other side there the work is hard it's not that once you're on the vendor side you put your feet up we all work very hard in just different ways and so it was good to hear that yeah the work is hard you're exhausted just like the CMIOs are now it's just different and well and with hims being canceled i imagine that really flipped your guys world upside down did you guys have anything major you were announcing at hims or anything that was uh, groundbreaking for for you guys yeah we were actually the big announcement we had was the addition of patient messaging to our network so previously we had focused almost exclusively on providers, physicians, advanced practice providers, nurses, you know, everyone working as an employee, essentially, in the healthcare world and opening that system up to patients and patient communication as well. So ironically, it came in handy pretty quickly. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than than good. And we were lucky that we had launched that because it's obviously come in handy for our clients and did so almost immediately with COVID hitting us harder soon after HIMSS. Uh, let's talk about COVID a little bit since you brought that up. It, I had to quarantine for 14 days after being exposed to a colleague that I was training on telehealth. Uh, just curious, have you had anything where you were exposed or concerned about any tips for us CMIOs out there that have to get we get up close and personal with people it's what we do what do you think yeah it's a big challenge for us I did have an exposure I was at a funeral where turns out we figured out later the person probably died of, of what was most likely COVID and we had some exposure at the funeral from some other people that were there and you know that was back in early March when we knew a lot less about the disease and I was obviously very concerned at the time and have really tried since then after I obviously quarantined for, for two weeks to be as prepared as I possibly can because we don't know what, what's going to happen next. We don't know if we'll get a, a second wave, how severe it will be. So that was really a wake-up call to me that I may have to handle a lot of things myself. I live in the Atlanta area. There's a couple of 
areas of Georgia that have been overwhelmed at times so far, particularly in South Georgia. So that was a signal to me to prepare a little bit. So I got set up at home with a nice home medical kit, which I added to most of which had been previous to up to then sutures and, and things like that for the boys, but was able to add some things to that. And as far as advice for CMIOs, it's set a good example. Uh, mask up. You have to go around and, and talk to people all over the organization and uh, and be able to interface with those folks. And a lot of times that's going to have to be virtual now. It's going to have to be different. You had a guest on a CMIO, I think it was Al, Al Valerian. I really uh-huh. enjoyed listening to you chat with him. But one of the things he was talking about and why he's so successful was how open he is. And he said his door is always open and his iPhone is always open. And that's how people reach out to him. Just a simple, direct text message. And I think that's really great advice and and what we're going to to have to do. And then obviously the formal greetings is out for at least now. I can't remember the last person whose hand I shook, but those will probably go away for for a while. So yeah, I think setting a good example by by wearing a mask and trying to use alternative means of communication to, to reach out and continue to stay engaged with folks. It's one of the most important things for a CMIO to be able to do, to engage across an organization like that with all sorts of types of technology people, with business people, with clinicians. And to be successful, they're going to have to continue to do that and have to find another way to stay connected. Yeah, I have not found training to be as easy or effective when I'm remote. I just enjoy, I personally enjoy it more when I'm up close and able to help people see that aha moment where they go, oh, I didn't know how easy that could be. So it's difficult being apart. And when the providers are struggling and they're on the COVID unit, that's a hard place to get into. I mean, I'm going to burn PPE if I'm going in there to train someone. So I got to think carefully about, am I really essential to go in there? It's been a challenge. So what are you seeing, though, in terms of technology that's having an impact during the crisis? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, a couple of things have really stood out for me. I think the first is telemedicine. That's been the obvious one. And I was talking to someone a little over a month ago, and it, it felt like we made about a decade of telemedicine advancement in a week, like literally a week. It was so fast and furious. And once they changed the ability to, they loosened obviously some of the, the privacy rules, but then once they changed and you had the ability to bill for an in-person visit for someone who you were doing a virtual visit with instead and bill essentially the same way for the same amount, telemedicine went through the roof. And companies like ours uh, and companies in that space were suddenly inundated with people that wanted to do this. And I talked to people all over the country and they were sh- sharing data with me and telemedicine visits were up you know, 6,000% and 4,000%. It was absolutely unbelievable to watch for me. And I had been a proponent of it for so very long. It was one of the things that was a silver lining in, in this because you can manage a lot of chronic diseases and a lot of medicine remotely. You can do it. And if you have good frictionless technology where it's easy to connect the physician with 
the patient or the physician and someone else with the patient, and you need to have a, a three or a four-way conversation to be able to have a, a nurse or a care coordinator or an advanced practice provider reach out and, and connect with the patient now. It's been fantastic to watch, and I, I have talked to a lot of physicians personally that really, really like the changes. And you don't always need someone to come into your uh, office. So I think the horses left the barn on telemedicine, as they say. I don't think there's ever putting it back in. And I think we will have permanent changes. And you've already seen some payers come out and announce that they would have make these changes permanent relative to telemedicine. So I'm very excited about what the future holds there for telemedicine. That's really the, the first thing that I've seen. Second thing has been a, a premium on communication, no doubt about it. And, and we've seen the value of communication during COVID in all sorts of ways. But one of the areas where I got to see it very early, Singapore is a, a large customer of ours. Their public health system uses Tiger Connect all over the public health system. And Singapore, they're a country of about 6 million. And one of the things that they place a premium on there is communication with patients and across their health system. And I've seen how we do things here and how we do things in other countries versus how they do them in Singapore communication. And I can tell you firsthand that what they have done with tracking and tracing and some of the other things that they've done relative to communication has been extraordinary. And it's one of the reasons they've gotten such really good results for the people of their country in a place that's pretty small and has a high population density, their results have been remarkable. So that's the other thing I've seen really is a premium placed on communication and where I've seen people in the United States get good results, they have good communication networks and processes in place to handle things like this. And it's everything from communicating with patients to communicating internally about patients coordinating COVID response teams, coordinating teams to get PPE where it was needed and when it was needed. So I've seen that a lot of growth there as well. Now I'm going to ask you the tough question. Most hospitals are going bankrupt, maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but everyone's feeling financial constraints. On the vendor side, does that worry you? What is it like now as a CMIO, as a chief medical officer, what should we be thinking about as we're interacting with vendors and trying to think about, well, yeah, that's a really great feature, but we have no money to spend on that now. Yeah, I'm extremely concerned, mostly from the perspective of our healthcare system as a whole and how we are going to survive. I think just personally as a vendor, at least for the space that, that I'm in, our activity and our demand and usage of our application is extremely high. It's never been higher. Our message volumes are through the roof. So we know people are getting tremendous utility out of what we're doing. So from the perspective of what I'm personally doing, I really don't have any concerns at all. We're just trying to help as much as we possibly can. But you're right. And where my concern is on the hospital side is the, this disruption to hospital operations. As Americans, we ultimately may end up having less access to medical care. And struggling hospitals, I, I, one piece of data I saw the other day, over a million healthcare workers have been laid off already. And hospitals, they operate in the system we're in 
um, this fee-for-service system that we are in, they are going to close or shut down unprofitable departments, just like businesses do and like some of the vendors that I've worked for in the past. And in that way, we operate sometimes in a very similar manner. And you're going to see that some hospitals will close, they will merge, they may sell to larger hospital chains. And what it's becoming, I, I think, is a huge threat to our capability to provide basic services to, to folks. And this could have a really long lasting effect. So as a vendor, what our job is always one of service. And, and we have to put ourselves in a position where we can be of best service to the system that we are living in. And that's how we have to react as vendors, CMIOs that work for vendors, is to help these hospitals cross this chasm and survive. And whatever type of system we end up living with or going with long-term, being able to adapt the technology to meet the needs of our clients is our absolute number one mission. And that's what we'll continue to try to do to help. But as it turns out, we went through that recession. Healthcare really didn't skip a beat. Healthcare was recession-proof. And I guess as it turns out, it's not it's not pandemic proof. And the level of economic impact here, I think, is going to be dramatic. Yeah, it's been a real stress test on the financial status of the health system. And I think we'll see the larger organizations, those that had a billion dollars just sitting in the bank as in cash, while they took a hit on their investments, they probably will come through this relatively okay. I do think it is the smaller hospitals that are not as well insulated. Perhaps they don't have the endowment funds. They don't have research or other avenues to bring in cash. They haven't invested into other ventures that are outside of the traditional core medicine. As a matter of fact, there are some hospitals I know that are more of an investment bank than they are a healthcare organization. They have so much money that's invested in the market that their daily operations has less effect than the market swings do. So I, I think this is going to be a really interesting time. And maybe it's good that some inefficient hospitals will close down. But I do fear for rural America, where most of those small hospitals are, those people are going to need telehealth in order to get the services they need. But I also see that they don't always have the communication, the broadband, the wireless, the cell phone access. There's definitely pockets of this country where we are behind different parts of the world. So do you think that's going to be an issue in terms of our infrastructure as a country? Are we ready to do telehealth to all parts of the country? Well, I mean, we better get ready because you're absolutely right. I, I think you made an excellent point. It's those folks in rural areas and other areas are going to lose access. There's no doubt about it. It's already starting to happen. And telehealth may be the only way some of those folks have to connect. And I think in areas where you don't have broadband, you still have to try and rely and hope that the cellular data network is good enough to do a video call. And in cases where you can't, you need to be able to reach out and text the patient. I mean, that's how... People communicate by and large. I think I saw some data the other day from Becker's and it was along the lines of 97% of people will open a text message and 90% of them are open within three minutes. 
So it's a great way to communicate with a patient, and we don't do very much of it today because it traditionally hasn't been secure. And I think that's going to be a way we have to engage folks in the interim, especially folks that need high touch and have some chronic diseases and then diseases that would lend themselves to uh, higher touch, higher frequency care. In areas where we don't have uh, video capability that's reliable, we got to figure out a way to reach out and touch those patients and get them the care they need. And we'll have to do it uh, via text messages. I think it's the best way to do it. We're starting to see that already with folks engaging in not just telemedicine, but virtual care. And there's some of those virtual care billing codes as well that people are starting to utilize. So not only a benefit for the patient, for the practice and the physician to stay higher touch, but obviously great for the physician practice and, and other types of practices as well. They're now able to bill and recoup some of that fee-for-service revenue that they're missing by not having the people in their office. I think you're completely right there. We, I'm an hour and a half, maybe two hours outside of Washington, D.C. It's not like I'm out in the middle of the mountain somewhere. And there are parts of our service area that we cannot get video visits going. We're really struggling with it. We can get text, though. It just... the bandwidth requirement, whatever it is, we're able to communicate at least somewhat effectively. It's something. And sometimes something is better than nothing. And particularly in this case, when a patient says, I need a refill or whatever it is, and they need to be able to talk to the office, some form of communication is better. So I think you're spot on there. Well, I've gone over my half hour I said I would stick to. Thanks again for coming on the show. It's been great you know, taking time out of, I'm sure, your busy schedule as well. It sounds like you do not slack off. You've got stuff going on. So thanks for sharing some time with the rest of the CMIO community. And that'll be our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn and send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.